Seahawks 360 podcast, a Sports Ethos production. We look at the Seahawks every at every angle every week. I'm your host, Candace Higgins. And I'm Tino Ganassius. And we are here to talk Seahawks. We have a ton of things to cover um, in this offseason. It's been very exciting. More action than we're probably used to this early <laughs> offseason for, for the 12s. Um, but we got new coaches. We got uh contract discussions with Gino. We got we got a lot, man. So let's dive into it. The first thing is first, um, finally got uh staff established around Mike McDonald and knowing what that will be. Um so offensive coordinator is uh Ryan Grubb Grubb Ryan Grubb of the um of the Washington Huskies, which most people are familiar with. And then on defense we have oh man, I don't want to mess this up. Aiden Dirty, or mm-hmm. Aiden Dirty, I think it's pretty. He said, uh, you can call him AD. We'll just call yeah. him AD. <laughs> yeah, we'll call him AD. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's how he pronounced in a press conference, if I remember incorrectly before he said that. So I think that's right. But, um, Tino, we'll start with you. I'll, I'll put it to you. What was what was your initial response um, to these hires? I think Dirty was hired first, right? And then it was announced that, right, well, there was a big there was a big deal about how, how the Ryan Grove uh, information got released. It wasn't your typical um, media break, breaking news um, format. But um, what, were, what were your thoughts initially to these hires? So I have two, I have, <clears throat> I guess, a response in on two levels. The first one is initially, you know, kind of what I thought. And the second one is after listening to the press conference and seeing how the rest of the staff has been flushed out. There are certain things that make a lot more sense. I think now more than ever, um, I'll start on the offensive side with, with coach Grubb. I think, you know, being, you know, my parents are, are, or my mom and stepdad are Husky alum. And I grew up rooting for the Huskies, even though I'm a Michigan grad and it's, <clears throat> so I watched the team intimately. Right. And I think coach Grubb is, he's a tactician, man. He, he gets, X's and O's in a way that I think, you know, he's elite in that sense. And what I wanted to know more, you know, uh, in investigating the hire is, is why, why was it him, right? Why was he sought after? There are plenty, there are a lot of smart people out there, but there's an intensity overall. When you listen to both coach AD and coach Grubb, there's an intensity about them that I think is different than what we felt in the building for a while now. Right. There's a specialness about their personalities. The they keep coming back to um accountability and communication and connectivity, I think was the big one for me with both Coach Grubb and Coach A D. With Coach Grubb in his press conference, you know, he talked a lot about the offensive line. And he talked a lot about the offensive line working in sync with the rest of the offense and how connectivity mattered to him so much. And I, it, to me, it was a breath of fresh air. And that's not to slam Coach Waldron, because I think he did a decent job. But there's an intensity and a hunger and a desire, I think in part because of the age, but also just because Pete Carroll's not there anymore, right? This is, they want to prove themselves. And there's something very special about that. And so that's, you know, I went into the overall immediately, but I think with specifically Coach Grubb, you know, I know what he can do with a good offense. I know what he can do with with incredible skilled players and incredible quarterback. The interesting part was he was asked in the press conference, 
are you going to run the ball as much, basically as much as coach McDonald wants, right? It's clear that coach McDonald wants to run the ball. And he said that, A, he does have a history of running the ball and he's coached every position on the offense, which I think is really interesting. But he said, both, both coaches said, and this, I love this so much. You have to coach to your personnel. He said, we chucked the ball around at UW because we had three NFL caliber receivers, right? And high picks. You got to play to your personnel. So if your personnel says you should be throwing the ball, you should throw the ball. And I think because he has DK and, um, and JSN and Lockett, he's going to throw the ball. He's not stupid, right? He's going to, he, he knows he has that talent, but the idea that he said match the scheme to the personnel were the words that he used. But I do think coach McDonald is good, believes in running the ball and he believes in physicality. And the other thing that, that coach Grubb said that I loved was he said that, uh, where, uh, where is it in my notes here? He said, when you have a strong run game, you can call the auxiliary plays a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And auxiliary, it means kind of like extra, not extra, but it means like on the outside, right? Not a part of the right. core. And I found that really telling that he sees everything being built off of a running game. And I think that's part of why he and Coach McDonald connected in the way that they did. I'm, I was pumped when I saw the hires. I think, you know, with Coach AD, I think it's, it's in part, they're going to grow him into the role, right? He's... He's young. He's energetic. He's really interesting. I did. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to him or watch the press conference, but he is just, he's an interesting dude. I love his personality, but he's going to grow into the role. That's why Leslie Frazier is there. That's why Mike McDonald is there. Whereas I think coach Grubb is going to have a lot of say over what this offense looks like. I don't know. I, I watched the press conference and I'm pumped. I just, it's, a breath of fresh air. It's a new team. They're inheriting a ton of talent. I think that, you know, they're bringing in minds and they're bringing in communicators. And that's a really different approach than not to say that coach hurt and coach Waldron weren't smart. It's just to say they're looking for the brightest young minds in football. And I love, love, love that. What about you? Absolutely. I I agree with a lot of what you said, but let me ask, because you did distinguish between your initial reaction and then your reaction after the press conferences. Uh-huh. Was Were they different? Were you initially skeptical? Yeah. I think I think that the coach, hiring Coach AD, you knew there had to have been something special there because they're hiring a D-line coach, you know, from from another another team, the Cowboys. And you could say that the D-line was great because they had Lawrence and Parsons and all those guys, or they were great and they had great coaching. And so I questioned the hire a little bit, but I had to trust that, you know, John Schneider knew what he was doing and Mike McDonald knew what he was doing. But you sit there for two minutes listening to him talk and watch his mannerisms and watch his smile and understand the intensity of his personality. And you immediately realize that, he he's a great fit in that building. His energy was infectious to me. And it's not like the boastful blustery sort of energy. It's this like constant intensity about him. And it's, and it's the, the, there's a connection that I felt listening to him. And I don't feel that often with strangers. Right. But it was something about him that said he loves football. 
He loves people. He talked about teaching. He talked about communication. And he said that he and Coach McDonald sat and they started talking scheme and talking attack, you know, de- defensive attack. And he said time just flew by. And they realized that there was a connection there. So to have, bring in a young mind like that who doesn't have the pressure of a high-priced defensive coordinator right away that can grow into the role, right? Mike McDonald can shape him into what he wants him to be. Leslie Frazier can lend, you know, be his mentor. I think it's it's an amazing setup and it's brilliant. You know, if you brought in another strong mind who had his own ideas already, it wasn't going to work. There's so much, here's what I, here's the word that I walked away with. The word is intentionality. There's so much intention with each and every one of these hires, right? Even Kennedy Palomalu, you know, the new running running backs coach is in his sixties and is, you know, is brought in to be kind of the elder statesman of the offense. I love that. I love that. It's, there's just, and he's a, he's a really good coach, but there's, they're just, it feels very intentional. Each and every hire is made for a reason to fit a part of a team and, they all said Coach McDonald is so detailed and so intense and holds everybody so accountable. And it just, it feels really different, right? That organization feels like a really different organization. Um, what about you initially? Like, are you, uh, are you excited? Is there one hire that like really stands out to you as, as a home run for you? Is there one that you're concerned about? No, I'm pretty even keel on that guy. Now, I will say I was excited mostly just because Ryan Gerb was one of the more intriguing names. And mm-hmm. we were starting to get to a point in the hiring cycle when I was beginning to wonder, did we wait too long um, mm-hmm. to, to really hire anybody? Because it was the whole Chip Kelly's going to come on and Chip Kelly hires or steps down at UCLA to take another offensive coordinator role, which is weird. But um, so I'm like, okay. And then it, so it comes out shortly after that, that then we were hiring Ryan Grubbs. I'm like, was that the guy they wanted all along? Did they really want Chip Kelly? So I just sort of had questions just because it was very, just weird how all that stuff unfolded. And I sort of was trying to piece the breadcrumbs together, was intrigued by the hire, but also skeptical of the hire, not for any other reason than just, it was weird how <laughs> everything went down and he had just run but just gone to this uh, boosters club meeting and announced he was going to be their offensive coordinator. And then all of a sudden that shifts, they didn't really in their press conferences provide a ton of clarity to that. But um, anyway, it he, seems like things sh- shook out how they shook out. I will say well, the outside of how it impacts the Hawks, what was so interesting about, the end of, of Ryan Grubb's time on the podium was they asked him, is it sustainable for a college coach now? And he said, he said, that's a longer conversation. Mm-hmm. And he said, they got to get it fixed. Yep. And it was clear. And the other thing he said was he just really, what he wants to do is he just wants to coach, right? He's passionate about coaching. He said, the more time you spend with your team, the more time you spend learning, coaching, understanding, coaching, the better coach you are. And he was alluding to the fact that you can't, you just can't do that in college football anymore. Mm. And he was talking a lot about recruiting an INL or, or NIL. I think when he was talking about that, it's broken. Right. And so the other thing is there were a lot of, there's a lot of conversation, a lot of rumors that he really did not want to live in Tuscaloosa. And he, he took the positive in the press conference and just said, he lo- absolutely loves Seattle, right? His two years in Seattle were great. He loves the city. 
They said he told the top quarterback recruit, Austin Mack, who had been there for a year, I may not see your career all the way through. He said that when he recruited him. So I felt like he was, all these guys, including Coach McDonald, they're open, they're honest, they're really good, they believe in great communication, and they're accountable, right? The fact that he was willing to say the things he did, he was just kind of like, you know, very uh, matter of fact about it, but he, but he gave real information and he wasn't talking around anything, you know, to that, to that point, sorry, I mean, I'm super excited about all this no, go ahead. conference um, coach AD. They asked him two different times about the personnel, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me, talk to me about some of the players you think you're going to build this defense around. What does this look like? And both times he said, I don't want to do a disservice to this team or to the defense by speaking about them until I get to know them better and until I get to learn the type of players they are more. And the fact that he was unwilling to give a BS answer, yeah. right? He was unwilling to say something for the sake of saying something. Right. Is there's a there's a, a, a level of integrity, I think, with him and with Coach Grubb that came out. And for that matter, you know, certainly Coach McDonald, that I really – admire and appreciate. And I think coach Carroll had the same, but they're so transparent about it. And I think that goes a long ways with players too, right? They, they, all of them kind of said, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. And I'm going to expect you to do the same. So there's just the cult, the cultural piece that we had talked about previously. And I think the cultural piece that your, your typical Seahawks fan got used to seeing with Pete Carroll, it's going to look different, but it's still going to be really present within this organization. And it seems to me that was really important to from ownership on down, that there is a strong culture within the organization and it's well-defined. I don't yeah. know. I, I, I think it's so cool. I think it's, it made me want to go work for the Hawks. That's kind of how, how I felt. <laughs> listening to them. Yeah, man, I really was impressed with a lot of these hires, especially at after after hearing the press conferences, I I will say some of my initial concern was just them being so young. I love the Leslie Frazier hire after that, so that sort of gave me some confidence. But then yeah. I, then we hire you know Aiden Aiden Dirty AD. Then we hire um, Jay Harbaugh, um, who we haven't yet mentioned, but who also mm-hmm. had a really interesting press conference. I feel, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going well. You know, where's the experience in the room? I know there's Leslie Freighter, but he can't be the only guy. You know what I mean? But right. they've sort of done these other hires, like the the linebacker coach from, from Green Bay Packers. So they have these sort of the leaders are new, but they're taking expertise from people who do have experience, which I think I can appreciate. There seems to be a level of, uh, of, of awareness, like you said, intentionality mm-hmm. to still place some value and experience. They're not just assuming that they know it all. And I think that they will take that um, the words from those who have the experience wisely, it seems. But one of my favorite takeaways from the conference was really very different than um, I think I learned more about Mike McDonald as a coach than I did. Uh, there were, yes, individual aspects to take away from each person's press conference. But like you said, even like AD, he wouldn't go into detail with his guys, um, grow up, some, said something similar, right? right? Excuse me, where he's saying personnel matters, right? Um, but what I took away, especially from AD's press conferences, he was very, uh, uh, he, he gave a lot of praise mm-hmm. to Mike McDonald in the sense of his vision is clear. 
Mm-hmm. His philosophy is clear. And we're all on the same page about what that is and what that looks like, which was probably the biggest vote of confidence you could give any new starting head coach to have a clear vision, to be able to communicate that clearly to guys who you just met. <laughs> like they, they didn't have a connection. AD and, and Mike McDonald didn't have any previous connections. Mm-hmm. And so for a really a complete stranger with the, with the exact opposite background <laughs> that mm-hmm. you have, to be able to clearly see the vision and feel confident that he can run with it, spoke to Mike Mike McDonald's ability to lead, mm-hmm. right? Not to coach, because we all knew coming in from a schematic standpoint, that was his strength. The question was, can he lead? Right. And that to me was one of the first signs that this coach can lead and he can lead well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what does that look like on the field? We'll see. But everything I've heard so far, I like the process, right, of of what's what has led up to what they're doing, what they're building. You can clearly see, like you said, intentionality in building the foundation and taking guys from different backgrounds. And yes, they are all new. And that makes some of these press conferences interesting because I think you do get real answers. I, I, I think, I think what was refreshing if I had to pick a theme for all the press conferences is that there was no coach speak. Right. There really wasn't. There were people. They were, they were there. there. There was no coach speak. Mm-hmm. No, none of that. Cause like you said, they could have, AD could have just said, we think, you know, we like the mindset of the players or something. He could have said something like, right. Ridiculous, but he he really, I mean, you could tell these guys are new. And while there may be times where that bites them in the butt, we'll see. Right. Um, I think there are more oftentimes than not, the players will gravitate towards that uh, genuineness. And right. I think that so will the fan base gravitate right. towards that genuineness. No, it's, it's no knock on Pete Carroll, but it's not just Pete Carroll. It's all coaches, right, that figure out how to navigate nuances and figure out coach speak and right now. These guys are just, they're not worried about that. They're, they're kind not of raw. PR, right? Yeah. They're really just in, you could tell their their heads are in building what they hope is something very special. Mm-hmm. And I found that cool. I find that I find it cool. I find it impressive. Mm-hmm. They all have similar things, right? Like I said, the intensity. Mm-hmm. I think was a like a connecting factor with each guy that you heard from. Even Jay Harbaugh, who is probably the coolest of them all, he's, he's a very laid back demeanor. Guys, just that is kind of cool, uh, to be honest. But he still has like an intensity about him in his own way. Um, like you said, the connectivity, I loved that. And what we as Seahawks fans are used to is energy from the sense of hype, from the mm, sense yes. of motivation. Yes. Um, and 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 you see the clear ability how that translates motivating others. I think even Clint Hurt did that pretty well. People talked about how he motivated them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, this is really more of a cerebral group, um, yeah, analytical group. Mm-hmm. And man, I'm excited to see how that manifests itself on the field because that is where the game is going. And so, if you're going to take a swing and miss, mm-hmm. you rather take a swing and miss on 
what has shown to work in the modern NFL, what has shown to give you the edge. And, and in fact, this has stuck with me almost like stuck with Mike McDonald. Um, I listened to his uh, conference he did on uh, Brock and Salk, I think it was, mm-hmm. that he did um, his interview. And when he talked about, he was asked about sort of his philosophy and the core of what makes him, you know, how he wants to run this program. And I loved his term, Chasing Edges. Mm-hmm. The term of that you're always looking for an advantage, mm-hmm. whether it's personnel-wise, um, building relationships wise, whether it's scheme wise, I just felt like it was so the way he communicated it was so strong that I almost saw it as like Pete's thing was always compete, compete, right? And so like just headline Pete Carroll always compete, mm-hmm. always compete. And I almost saw like chasing edges as his thing, you know what I mean? Like it's it was so profound. Mm-hmm. Um and you can tell it really is at the basis of every decision that he makes to the point where, well, though he might not say it as often as Pete Carroll would say, always compete. Chasing edges is really the next era. It seems to define the next era of Seahawks football. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I think, I think there's some continuity there between those two mindsets in a, in a positive way. It's different and manifests itself very differently, but there are some values there in always compete and in chasing edges that make it where it's not night and day. Um, the, each of these coaches have talked about how much they care about the players. That's Pete to his core. And so for our players, it's not going to be a huge, giant transition in terms of we're on military mode, right? Like it's not going to be, I don't think you'll have retention trouble because all of a sudden we got a guy that comes in here and he's laying down the law and we're not used to that. Right. Uh, Mike McDonald wouldn't even commit to it. He'll still that music play in the background or not. And, and another thing he said that impressed me was that he said he's not intimidated by any of that. Right. He's not intimidated by the shadow that is Pete Carroll and all of the things that he really just wants to build on mm-hmm. some of those things and then figure out how that manifests into making it it's to his own. And that's impressive to me because it's, I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to say the same thing in his position to come after such a, such a, a strong, what struck me too. I've got a couple of things on what you said. I, I love what you said. He has such a strong identity already. Mm-hmm. And he's such a, I think even more so such a strong belief Yes. in what he's doing, right? That it it doesn't matter what came before him. Yes. Because he's he's so laser focused on accomplishing the stuff that he wants to accomplish. And I think that is how you go about replacing someone like Pete Carroll is you have yeah. to believe in yourself, right? And it's it is telling. I also think that the the you know, kind of looking on the margins, looking for an edge. That's a Harbaugh characteristic too, mm-hmm. right? It's what J- Jim Harbaugh gets criticized for at Michigan was, you know, pushing the envelope a little bit, doing things differently. Even John Harbaugh believing in Lamar Jackson in the running game mm-hmm. and playing an offense that's from a different era, bringing in Mike Nolan as a coordinator who is essentially running the option, right? Especially in those first Lamar years, yep. they had a belief in what they were doing and they were trying to, zig when everyone else was zagging right and that's kind of what you're talking about with coach mcdonald as well which is cool because 
it also means he's going to be able to counter the McVeighs and the Shanahan's like yes. we talked about before, because he's doing some extra different stuff. Right. So that CEO, we talked about it before the taking how to run an organization and how to communicate and how to have a vision because Michigan football under Harbaugh had a really strict vision. We're going to run the ball. We're going to run it down your throat. We're going to have 32 times in a row against Penn state to close the game out. Right. And we're going to play incredible defense. We'll be more physical than you are. Right. And Baltimore is the same thing. They've got the physical defense. Mm -hmm. They believe in a scheme. They've got Lamar in the running game. They added passing game, but it's very well defined. Mike McDonald is trying to do that because that's, that's what he's learned from for one, two, quick anecdote with a coach AD. He did say the one time he spoke about the team or the defense he did, he said he was on the sideline with Dallas in that game. And he said he could feel the Seahawks defense and the speed, right. And the, the, the urgency I'm, I'm giving, I'm putting that word in, but he felt it on the sideline, even though he's not coaching against the Seahawks defense, you could feel how fast they were. And I thought that was, cool and i felt like that was different you don't always hear coaches talk you speak like that right um and the third thing that i'll point out is and that i appreciate is i think i don't know if this was intentional i I think everything with with john schneider is but i appreciate the diversity in age and race and ethnicity on this coaching staff and i think they're really smart to go about it that way right so you've got coach mcdonald who's from georgia and coached in Baltimore and Michigan. You got Coach Grubb, who was born in Iowa and coached in South Dakota and you know Fresno State and then and then UW. And but then you have, you know, Coach AD who's from England, right? Speaks differently, acts differently. You've got, you know, Coach Palomalu, who's the the uncle of Troy Palomalu and has all that SC lineage and Southern California and is in his 60s. You know, you have Coach Frazier, who grew up in the South and played on the Bears, you know, great defense and has and has so much knowledge and is African-American. You have Frisman Jackson, the new wide receiver coach who grew up in Chicago and and had to scratch and claw his way to a couple years in the NFL. And it's you've got just really interesting, this interesting group of people. Right. You've got Coach Paul Palomalu and Coach Frazier in their 60s. You've got these other guys in their 40s. Each one of those older coaches is on either side of the ball. You bring in a Harbaugh because you're a part of that family at Coach McDonald is, and you're raising him to be eventually be a head coach. It's just, it's really cool when you see, when we get to see how a team or a staff is built and you see the thought that goes into building this staff. And again, I can't speak definitively to the fact that they were paying attention to having a diverse staff in that way. In always right age, experience, race, ethnicity, all those things. But to me, that's a it's a priority. I think you you're able to really reach and communicate all people within the building if you have people that are you can identify with someone who's kind of like you, right? I think it's and learn from others who aren't. And so to me, that's a really cool aspect of this staff. That um, and I do think it fits with who the Allen family is and was under Paul Allen and with John Schneider as well. Um, again, not, not important, not, it is important. It's not an X's and O's thing, but it's something that I recognize and I think is kind of cool. I just, it's, 
I'm so interested to see what this team looks like when they, when they run out of the tunnel and, you know, in week one and what this identity looks like. And we haven't even talked about the quarterback situation yet and who's going to be the quarterback and what their approach is, but it's, it is really cool. It's really easy to get. Once you dig in a little bit, it's really easy to get super hyped, right? Super hyped about what this team can be. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So yeah, I'm with you. Um, it's definitely exciting times for sure. Um, and I think that's a good transition here to talk about now that they have gotten a lot of their staff built out. You, there's still some more work to do, but you can tell they've got a lot of the staff positions that's starting to really come into fruition. So then you start leaning more towards personnel. And there was this been debate for some time over today's date, which is Friday, um, the 16th. And that is, is the deadline for Gino's money to become officially guaranteed. His injury guarantee mm-hmm. money becomes guaranteed. It was uh, revealed via Adam uh, Scheffner that he was going to, that the Seahawks were going to retain him. He was not going to be cut. That's sort of the direction I had been leaning in the whole time, but the wording and then the way the tone with which Adam tweeted that has stirred further speculation upon how if if you know we traded because the way it was worded is essentially the Seahawks felt that with the rising cost of quarterbacks, you know, contract was of a, a value and worth mm-hmm. keeping on. Mm-hmm. But essentially tweeted out again that the Seahawks were. Basically, the Seahawks are for have have put Geno up for sale. Essentially, it, it's kind of what the tweet implied. I can go ahead and pull it up and, and try to make sure I get that exact exact wording correct. But it essentially impl- implied that they'd be hearing offers for Geno, and I, there's a question about is that his own narrative spinning his his own speculation, or does he have inside sources that are sort of speaking to that? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think, I think he's the starting quarterback of the Seahawks week one. I think he is whatever you bring in, you know, there's a lot of debate on Twitter about, about Geno Smith and currently, and I think whatever you bring in, that's not Geno Smith is not going to be as good as Geno Smith. I think it's uh, the question is, do you as an Seahawks organization, do you want to bottom out? Right. And and build from from the studs up and keep, you know, a couple of the centerpieces, but everyone else goes right. You see Bobby Wagner go. You see Jordan Brooks go. You see Geno Smith go. You know, maybe you even see, you know, Tyler Lockett go. They don't resign the tight ends on and on and build from bottom up, knowing you're going to go, you know, six and 11 next year, or is this a championship defense? And do you believe in Geno Smith enough to be able to be a playoff team next season, or even potentially a, a super, you know, a conference championship, Super Bowl type team, because you look at the Niners, the Niners aren't going to be able to bring back some of their stars, right? Ayuk may not, may not be back. We all saw the Twitter stuff with him. They've got other questions on that team to get underneath the cap. So if the Niners aren't the Niners and the Rams are, you know, kind of have a puncher's chance sometimes, but aren't great. And the Cardinals are going through some transition as well. This might be the window. I think 
if, if I was um, John Schneider, I would want Gino to stick around for one more year. I would play him one more year. I would invest heavily in his successor this this year because the quarterback class next year is not nearly what it is this year, right? So, you know, obviously I love J.J. McCarthy. I know a lot of Seahawks fans don't. I think some are coming around to him. But a J.J. McCarthy-type player, a Michael Penix-type player, right? I don't like Bo Nix, but a Bo Nix-type player who whatever one they believe in, you bring him in, you sit him for a year behind Geno Smith, you let Geno Smith play the year out, I think that, and Geno Smith, his floor is really high, right? He may not have that upside, but he's a 65 to 70% completion, take care of the ball, run play action, smart quarterback who's not going to get you in trouble. And you can win with that. We saw he's a lot better quarterback than Brock Purdy is, a lot better, whether people realize that or not. My, my opinion is you bring in the quarterback who you believe is going to be his successor you sit him for a year. The team is going to be going through some transition with new coaches. You see what you have with Geno Smith in that year. Cause I think this is an 11 win team, right? We don't know what the personnel changes are going to be, but I think if they do a couple of moves, they do some smart things. This is an 11, 12 win team. This is a very good defense with some big pieces on offense. I think they would be silly to tear it down. Um, that's what I think they will do. I think, the other word that came up with coach McDonald and I think the organization is pragmatic or pragmatism. And I think they're smart enough to know why would we tear this down for the sake of tearing it down when we have so many building blocks. So I think the it's posturing with Geno Smith. I don't think that what they would, what would they get in return? A three, right? They get a two or a three or maybe a four in return for him. That is not worth giving up a, what I consider to be a top half of the NFL quarterback yeah. and one that doesn't make mistakes. Um, but you have to find his successor. You absolutely have to identify who is your next franchise quarterback. And I think this is the year to do it. And you want to get them in your organization as soon as possible. Yeah, I think I align with you on a lot of that. Uh, I do think that he'll ultimately be started. I don't, I don't know where the trade stuff manifests itself from. I know there'll be plenty of speculation, but I really just don't see how there's a way to upgrade from Geno Smith, particularly because I think Geno Smith played like a top 10 quarterback from week eight on. Mm -hmm. And he struggled mightily because of a lot of circumstances that had nothing to do with him, including a ravaged offensive line. And Gino has always been, in my opinion, a guy who can make do with, uh, you got to give him a sporting cast. He'll give you what you give him, essentially. Mm -hmm. And if you give him a bunch of crap, then you'll probably get a bunch of crap. (laughs) And and if you give him uh, elite supporting cast, he can give you elite play. And I think he's proven that. And I don't think that th- that his past year is a contradiction to that. I think it really speaks more to what we thought, and that is he can be elite at times, but he does need an elite supporting cast. And I think I'm interested in exploring that model over exploring the find a quarterback, pay them a ton of money, and count on him and find out really it's an experiment that as you peel away his talent, can he rise to the occasion? Most of the time, everybody ain't Patrick Mahomes. Right. Uh, well, and, most, and what's what's the difference between Geno Smith and Kirk Cousins? Yeah. It, there's not a whole lot of difference between the two of them. I would take Geno over Kirk Cousins personally because Kirk Cousins throws too many picks. Right. What's the difference between Geno and, and Brock Purdy? 
right? Brock Purdy had a better supporting cast. And m- most importantly, Brock Purdy had a very good offensive line. What would Gino do? What would Gino do in that offense? He, well, during the season. But what would Gino do in that offense, right? Right. Gino would blow up. Yeah, he would. The other thing, the other thing for Gino's sake is I do think that between um, Mike McDonald and and Ryan Grubb, they they believe in offensive line. They believe yes. in investing in the offensive line. They believe in it being a a tight unit continuity between the different, the different parts of the offense. So I think just the coaching change alone is going to have a really big impact on the quarterback play. Right. So we're not, we're not going to see these turnstile Jake Kerhans and stones Forsyth and those guys. Right. We're not going to see them anymore. That's not what this is. It's always been this patchwork BS. We're going to bring dude off the street. Right. And he's going to start, you know, the third day he's been in the building, he's going to start at left tackle. It's not going to be that way. I don't think under these guys anymore. I think offensive line is too important. And you look at Baltimore's investment in the offensive line. You look at the the university of Michigan offensive line and what, and how everything is built off of that. That's coach McDonald. He wants to be physical. He wants to control the line of scrimmage. That's great for Gino. That's the most amazing news for someone like Gino Smith, who's smart and tough and can see tight windows and is accurate. I think he's a, honestly, a great fit for my, so my, what's your dream scenario at quarterback um, moving forward with this team? Like if you could build something out, what it, what would it look like? Uh, well, I, I, I really think Gino can take, I'd like to see what Gino can do in playoff games with a good supporting cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, because even when they played the 49ers, they were beat, beat down to the point where like Gino was going head to head with them in the first half and he didn't have a, Quite a bit of his supporting cast. A lot of those guys were injured. And so right. the defense on, on both sides of the ball, they just were kind of limping in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like I said, if you give them a supporting cast plus an actual coaching edge strategically and making adjustments, things like that can make a big difference in a game and how you perceive Gino. I like to see this team. You're start with him. Like you said, you, you, I do still recommend drafting someone. I'm more of the type Take a swing type. I, I'm not going to say keep Gino for a year. Mm-hmm. I don't care if they keep him for the duration of his contract. If he earns it, one, because it's, it's incentive based. So sure. if he doesn't meet those those incentives, then we're not paying him that money. And that's what makes me OK with it. You're not. What are you really losing? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you're you're paying him a pretty low base salary. And if he earns it, he'll get more. And if he doesn't, then he won't get more. I, don't, I think that's the dream scenario. <laughs> I think that's. What you root for outside of the rookie the rookie contract, and so then yes, you draft someone and see if they're good enough to beat Gino, right. and if they're not, they're not the guy. I don't I don't I don't by any means feel that just because you draft somebody, he's got to be your next franchise quarterback. He doesn't, right? Not unless he can beat Gino. If he can't beat out Gino, he's not the guy. Right. So then you give you continue to give him time. You have him on a rookie deal. But I think it's not as simple. I think people assume that once you replace Gino, you got the guy. And I think people forget how hard it is to find a franchise quarterback in today's age. I think you're better off with a guy who's got a high floor and maybe a high, maybe a ceiling. We'll see. But Gino's never been in a situation where he's been given the 49ers roster, right? Right. Uh, Jets, Jets, Giants, 
you know, Seahawks with no offensive line and a yeah. bad offensive coordinator. No, he hasn't had that. The best year he had was his best supporting cast. And I don't think that's coincidence. I'll tell you what, I will be over the moon if the Seahawks take either J.J. McCarthy or Michael Penix Jr. I think, and that's not, for me, That's I'm trying to be as objective as possible. If I thought Bo Nix was a better quarterback, I'd say Bo Nix. Of course, you would love to see one of the top three, but I think that with the cost to get up to a Jaden Daniels or a Drake May or a Caleb Williams is, is cost prohibitive, right? But Penix, man, and it, the offense will look different under each one of those quarterbacks because with Penix, obviously he's a gunslinger. He's a pocket quarterback. You need to make sure your offensive line is, is airtight, but he's got the best, to me, he's the best arm talent in this draft. I don't care about Caleb Williams. I understand how great he is. Michael Penix's arm is nasty. And you've got McCarthy, who, you know, I think people see as a game manager because of how he played at Michigan, but he's more talented than that, right? When he replaced Cade McNamara a couple of years ago as a quarterback, he was seen as more of the gunslinger. He was the one that could throw the ball 60 yards, but he's great in play action. He's going to run. I bet you he runs a sub four five forty. He's smart. He's a great leader. And he, the intermediate throws, right? Those, those 18 yard in routes, the dig routes, the, you know, those are the, the the passes that he's really, really, really good at. It's the stuff that we like to see where DK runs down the field and then bodies up and, and is able to essentially post up the corner. He throws those passes really well. Either of those two guys, right? Pettick's a little older, but either of those two guys comes in, sits for a year, learns the organization, learns the offense. Maybe they don't take over until, you know, uh, halfway into 2025. Maybe they don't take over until 26 and they get two years. I remember Steve McNair when Steve McNair was drafted by the Titans or by the Oilers. And he sat for a couple of years, right? But Steve McNair was, was the man. He needed that time to ingest the offense and understand, but he hit the ground running. You think about Mahomes. Mahomes sat behind Alex Smith, right? Jordan Love. Rogers, right. Well, love behind Rogers, Rogers yeah. behind Favre. There is something to be said if you can identify the right talent for giving that player the opportunity to grow into their role. That's when you have a Geno Smith, take advantage of it and, and take your shot. They could be, this could be Mike Tomlin, right? Going to the Super Bowl year one. This team is that good. Mm-hmm. This team is that good. Um, I think it would be a shame if they did trade Geno. Um, I would be, I'd be sad. You know, I'd want to yep. see who the quarterback is before passing judgment, but I would be, I think it'd be a shame because we have a top, you know, top maybe 14, 13 quarterback in the NFL right now in our hands at, as you said, a very favorable contract. And he can play at top seven. Like we've yeah. seen top seven. He was in 22. Yeah. We, we, we've seen, we've seen top seven. So I, I don't, I don't, it's on his contract. Mm-hmm. Give me that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, more of a ceiling than people give it credit for. You got yeah. a top seven quarterback in the league and a great supporting cast around him. Mm-hmm. You do a lot of damage come playoff time, especially when you have again that coaching edge that we've been lacking. Because I felt like we've lost playoff games on coaching alone in the past. I just have just we on the lack of adjustments or taking too long to make adjustments. Um, I just think that's a big factor, and if we could get ahead of that in some regard. I think I think with a good supporting game, you know, you need health, injury, mm-hmm. luck. I mean, obviously, 
that didn't go well last year. So you need health going into those situations. But with a healthy roster, you give it a try. I mean, mid-level quarterback contracts are rare to find. And they and the Seahawks have found one. I say see that experiment through. And if any point the rookie overshadows Geno Smith, then you play the rookie. Yep. And you got none to lose, and then you can feel great about that. But then you win either way, right? You right. didn't lose games trying to develop the quarterback, right? But you still develop the quarterback. Um, yeah. and if you don't, if you aren't able to develop the quarterback, then you know that's not your guy. And because anything more than Geno is the guy, because right. because I think Geno's ceiling is pretty high, more high than people are willing, really willing to look at it and accept. Mm-hmm. So. Then you got a top five guy, top three, yep. you know? Uh, and if you're also, if you're able to run the ball in the way that we know they want to, and, you know, if the scheme is is right and they invest in the offensive line, Gino's going to be that much better of a quarterback, right? You're going to create, that's the whole, the whole philosophy of, of play action is creating bigger windows and more space for the, you know, for the quarterback to throw. It's, the other the other question mark on the offensive side for me, I know they're going to invest in the offensive line. I think that's a given. There's we we can put you know put that in stone. What did the, what did the Seahawks do with Tyler Lockett? That's the other question we've seen online. You know, is he on the decline? Is he worth the contract? Is he you know? Do you just having DK and JSN already is is it overkill to have? Lockett as well. How do you, what's your initial thoughts with Tyler Lockett? Do you think he's necessary? Do you keep him if it's up to you? Um, where are you at with that? I think it's, I think it's necessary. I think you restructure him. I think he does have a big cap hit. So mm-hmm. I do think you try to restructure him, but uh, people have uh, pointed to regression and I think there are some signs of that, but I also think it's his productivity in terms of numbers is more due to circumstance and that somebody's production was going to go down anyway, because it's three wide receivers instead of two. Mm-hmm. All right. I think by default, that was going to be something I don't I don't know why people just didn't take into account that someone's production might drop because because they didn't and all, they didn't have they were more less touches to go around now. And because the defense was on the field so long, they were like dead second to last, I think, in actual offensive positions that they had to mm-hmm. play with because, well, defense could get off the field. So then. They they were always behind the eight ball. So I think between those two things, Tyler Lockett was a disadvantage. Did he drop some balls that I think normally he would catch? Yes. But he also played through injury quite a bit last year. Now the question is, can he be healthy? I think those are legitimate questions. I think there are signs that point to slight regression, but I think it's overstated. I think the regression of Tyler Lockett is overstated, and I would be none surprised at all to see him have a bounce back year that is much more like what we normally see. And maybe that doesn't look like a 1,000-yard season because, again, not as many touches to go around. Three guys now. But I'm not sure. It's like any position. you The production for what you pay is what's the most important thing. If he's willing to restructure and he's willing to come back at a smaller number, I think he's a huge asset. The other thing that we don't talk about is – you know, a lot of the, he used to run a lot of the inside routes. There are a lot of inside routes that he, you know, you remember him picking up first down after first down after Mm -hmm. first down, catches the ball, goes straight to the ground. So he doesn't get hit that some of that stuff went to JSN this year, right? Some or was the the intention was to give it to JSN this year. And so his role within the offense really changed Mm -hmm. with the addition of JSN and 
it's you can't blame Tyler Lockett for that. The other thing is if you're used to, you know, it's like a volume shooter in basketball. If you're used to just putting up a bunch of a bunch of threes and, you know, eventually you're going to start making them when you're shooting five threes instead of 10 in the game, you might go one for five because you're not in that rhythm yet. Right. And so it's the same thing with the receiver. They need to be in rhythm. And I think his rhythm looked off all year long, which is why people think he's changed. He also seems like the type of athlete and the type of person who takes care of himself. And so I don't see that physical regression that you might see from others. That said, if he's not taking a big discount, I don't know if he's necessary for this offense. I think he is a good addition or he's a good, a big part of it. If he's willing to take that, take the, the, the market value for his talent. But if, if, Lockett signs elsewhere, right? And the Seahawks replace him with, you know, Joe Schmo, right? Like, a, I don't know if the Bobo is the fit, but someone like that, right? Someone without the pedigree of a Lockett. I think the offense, we'll, we'll wait to see what the scheme looks like, but I think the offense does not suffer tremendously without Tyler Lockett in that offense. I think the bigger key is, to me, solidifying that offensive line. That's going to be what changes. But I, I would love that said, I would love to see Lockett back. I would love to see him back. I don't know if it's necessary for that offense to be very good next season. I can, tell you, I can tell you disagree. <laughs> I'm not going to say necessary. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's necessary. I think it is important sure. because I think there are still question marks without him. I'm not sure. Yes, JSN Splash. But Jason, JSN Splash, because he benefited from the coverage of Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Sure. We know that if teams play us differently, that he can step up and he can still make those catches that Tyler Lockett could. I can't say with confidence that we can. Right. Um, I think that's a huge question mark. I think we also forget the O-line struggle, struggles and how that plays into the production that Tyler Lockett's going to have. Sure. And, and finally... I think that the, the tight end talent is going to drop off this year. We had a really deep tight end room where mm-hmm. Noah Fant and Will Disley, Kobe Parkinson, all guys who can make plays. I don't see them. They're not going to put that same investment this offseason in the tight end room. And I don't think that they necessarily should. It was a luxury, I think, to have. I think some of the some of the throws that went to Noah Fant go to Tyler Lockett again, you know, mm-hmm. or, or Jason. So, so that gives you targets. And I'm sure they'll do something to add to the tight end room over the offseason. They'll need to. But uh, my point is, I don't think the three, I mean, they and they had to run three tight end sets quite a bit mm-hmm. because of the O-line situation. So I think there are just so many factors that play into Tyler Lagos drop. And I think people assume it's him. Mm-hmm. And I would bet more often than not, if you pull Tyler Lockett from this group, that offense looks really different. Sure. I think it's not nearly as explosive as people think it is. I don't think this this offense just gets off and starts hit, hits the ground running like people think. I think JSN would struggle a little bit to adjust, and maybe he does. But also, you don't know if he does. So if you got him in the title locket, and right. you just got DK Metcalf, where everybody can just double team, and JSN can't step up, then you have a stagnant offense. I think there's a pretty. I think there's a bigger risk than people acknowledge. By getting rid of Tyler, I think people take for granted what he offered. And if you pull him out, you'll feel the difference. Right. I, I, your point is great because, you know, as you were speaking, I, I thought about, you know, right now with Lockett, you have two legitimate deep threats, one on each right. side of the field, right? Correct. And at any point in time, you know, sub four or four guys. 
at any point in time, either one of those two can be too deep. You take one away and we all know you can roll the, you can roll the safety over to the side of the deep threat and, and really kind of um, suffocate an offense that way, mm-hmm. which is why it's important to have two of them. I think that's, I think that's a great point. And yes, you could bring in some young guy who runs a four, three, but Lockett is proven right. Oh, year over year, over year to be a, a legitimate, one of the best deep threats in the game. He may not be the, the physical specimen of a DK Metcalf, but he is one of the most potent deep threats in the game. So yeah, I think one, I think that's a great point. Two, I think JSN's talent is not about quick twitch and elite right. athleticism, right? Exactly. He's, he's a tactician. He's a great route runner. He's physical. He's got great hands. And so be careful you know, we should be careful what we wish for as far as that goes, because he's not beating double teams likely with that type of game, right? It's the explosive athleticism that beats the double teams. Now he's a great tactician. I think he can beat a double team for a first down, but as far as having an elite impact, that's not happening with him unless you have coverage being taken to the other side. The third thing is getting back to the coordinators or bring this full circle before we finish Ryan Grubb at UW loved tight ends and H-backs, right? He loved Jake Westover this year was one of the big, he was like the safety valve every game at UW. And he surprised, every commentator was shocked that this walk-on dude, number 37 playing tight end, right, was catching so many balls and was such an important part of the offense. And it was because they were so fixated on those three receivers that the tight ends just opened up all the time. And, you know, same thing with, with um, Devin Culp and some of the other tight ends on that offense, they were a big part of that offense, big part of it. You look at Baltimore and you look at Mark Andrews and how important he's the best receiver on that Baltimore offense. And Lamar Jackson goes to him all the time. And I know coach McDonald didn't coach the offense, but he saw the importance of the tight end. You look at the one year at Michigan, Jim Harbaugh is like the king of tight ends. Jim Harbaugh wants like eight tight ends on his offense and runs a lot of the passing game through the offense. You don't hear about the Michigan receivers. You hear about the tight ends, Colston Loveland, right? Um, so again, I think they will focus on tight end. I've seen some mock drafts where Brock Bowers is the is the pick if he drops yeah. the tight end in Georgia. Yep. I don't know that I love that as the pick. I think they need to focus on on some other stuff first that seems like a luxury to me mm-hmm. but i do think ryan grubb will feature the tight end in a different sort of way and i do think it's going to be a focus it wouldn't surprise me to see them pick the two two of the three out of the ones you named that they believe fit the offense best and retain them um because i do think pri- tight end becomes a priority but it is really going to be super fascinating because as we watch and talk about the new acquisitions it's going to tell us a lot about the philosophy of this team defensively and offensively, right? Does, does we didn't even talk about Bobby Wagner. Does Bobby Wagner stick around? Does Jordan Brooks stick around? What do they do with that D line? Um, we know the secondary is going to be great. We've heard rumors of Jamal Adams getting cut, but it'll tell us what they think about this team. It'll tell us the direction they're going. It'll tell us schematically. We can start to pick up some of those breadcrumbs and understand, man, I'm so pumped. I can't even tell you. This is, oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. 
Yeah, a lot of decisions to make, a lot of news to come down. I did see that uh, news about Jamal Adams dropping. We'll see. I think that today is the day, right? Mm-hmm. Today is the, we'll find out by the end of the day today, one way or the other, whether that was just rumor or or actually legit. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, we got a lot to react to, a lot to respond to over the off season, but there's definitely like a lot to be excited about mm-hmm. if you are a Seahawks fan. So. With that said, Tina, I want to tell people where they can find you and we'll we'll wrap up today. Yes, you can find me. Uh, I do the Mariners cast um, for Sports Ethos, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S on Twitter. Uh, we will start really ramping up things here in the next couple of weeks with spring training starting. Um, I also, on my uh, YouTube, do a lot of fantasy baseball stuff, which is super fun, but it is baseball season. It is database season um very deep in my baseball databases trying to figure stuff out for fantasy baseball uh which is my passion so yeah i i don't know sports is like you sports is my everything and and i'm enjoying it and loving it and um that's where you can find me and buried in my in my office looking at a bunch of numbers and watching a bunch of games <laughs> all right you can find the show at ethos seahawks be sure to give us a follow um, as we'll continue to put out episodes as things happen, as news breaks, we got your back on all things Seahawks. And until then, go Hawks.